Blog Talk Radio. Morning, and thank you for joining us for Three Women, Three Ways. We are the show that tackles some pretty difficult topics sometimes, and we talk a lot about domestic violence issues, interpersonal relationships, and today we're very fortunate. Um, October, the first Saturday in October here, uh, marks the uh, beginning of Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Most of us think about um, October as Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and that's great, that's wonderful, but it is also Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And so there's all sorts of activities, all sorts of things going on to help people become more understanding and aware of domestic violence. So one of the ways that we can learn about domestic violence is by listening to survivors, people who've lived through it. And I am very fortunate today that I have two guests with me. One of them is Yvonne Coiner. Yvonne, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Great. And another one is Jen Lawford. Jen, hello. Hi. Hi. Both of these ladies are with a group called San Diego Voices. It's a group of survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault who volunteer their time and they uh, use their voices collectively and individually to help other people with education and empowerment, and that's really important. You know, a lot of times I hear people saying, well, she divorced three years ago and why isn't she over that yet? Well, when domestic violence is involved, it's a whole different critter. It's a whole different animal and not quite as easy. I always say divorce is like childbirth. None of it's easy, but some of it is easier than others. And uh, I think that when you're dealing with domestic violence, um, you know, you're you're talking, you know, really some pretty heavy-duty stuff. And oftentimes I will hear people kind of comparing uh, a divorce. I remember once somebody saying to me, "Well, my ex and I were just ha- just had a very contentious divorce, and that was two years ago. But now we're best of friends." Well, if you're dealing with a domestic violence situation, that ain't happening. <laughs> Period. Oh, the end. Oh, we're never gonna happen. It's never gonna happen. No. And so I thought it would be great to invite these wonderful ladies on the show to talk about what about after the crisis. How do you survive after the crisis? Because not only are you dealing with the crisis and the remnants of that crisis, which affects women not only economically, not only um, emotionally, uh, but also physically. Studies, more and more studies are coming out showing that domestic violence has long-term physical effects for women, all sorts of long-term effects that are with these women for the rest of their lives. Actual patterns in the brain can change after trauma, uh, especially ongoing trauma. So to suggest that somebody goes through this little inconvenience called domestic violence and a divorce and that somehow or other a year or two later they should be just fine and what is the matter with them for not letting go and moving on, my two favorite phrases in the world, um, it does people a disservice. So we're going to talk about that. What does it mean to let go and move on? And how are those two phrases uh, somehow kind of um, uh, inappropriate when you're talking about domestic violence situations? Yvonne, let's start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about your situation and how you came to this point in your life? As far as my domestic violence situation, I was abused and moved out right after the abuse. 
However, my abuser kept contacting me and stalking me for the next 11 months. So that affected my job, uh, my sense of well-being, and it really took a large toll on me. Mm-hmm. Have you had to deal with PTSD from any of this? Yes, I did, and I had extensive therapy, including uh, EMDR, which is the eye movement desensitization therapy. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, that was very helpful, but the therapy was pretty extensive, and it took a long time, uh, a lot of mm-hmm. uh, sessions to get through that. Yeah, and of course, when you're dealing with all of that, you know, very real emotional and uh, psychological and and physical abuse, you're also dealing with the economic fallout of all of that. It's not cheap to get away from an abuser, and because, as you mentioned, Yvonne, oftentimes it affects your workplace, your job, your ability to make a living. Jen, did you experience anything like that? Um, yeah, well, I worked with my abuser, um, so that made it particularly difficult. Um because there really was no escaping it. Um, he did put his hands on me at work um, but when the relationship was towards the end, um, which actually got him fired. So um, other other people at my work had witnessed it. Um, so he was removed from my work environment, but it still greatly affected it because that was where I that was where I worked and made my money, and everyone knew him and everyone knew me, and made the situation that much more harder. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I was so lucky that he was removed from my from my workplace, but at the same time, it, it became very difficult because he still knew where I worked. Um, and like Yvonne, he did stop me for quite a while. So knowing yeah. where I worked, you know, didn't give me a great sense of ease. Somebody always had to walk me out after work and mm-hmm. make sure that he wasn't at my car. You know, I'd have to check my yeah. car, check my apartment. Um, now, both of you ladies <laughs> sound like you experienced physical abuse. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, um, and of course, you know, many women experience physical abuse, but the 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 coercive control, the controlling, and the psychological abuse, will and yeah, it's worse. It actually is yeah, worse. worse. And there are it's, studies that indicate that you, women who have experienced it, it both, you, yeah, it uh, it yeah. stays with you much longer than yeah. physical abuse. Yeah, exactly. It stays with you for that's what you need the therapy for. You don't need therapy because necessarily hit you you need more therapy because it was the control and the stalking and the you know all the other things that Yvonne mentioned um yeah that's what stays with you for much longer than than you know I'm not, I'm not trying to like downplay physical abuse but that's what stays with you and and haunts you much longer I think I don't know maybe because I had a lot of emotional abuse so maybe that's how I feel about it yeah. Yvonne are you, yeah, are you, you agree with that yeah, you end the relationship and you've pretty much been emotionally beat down. The physical abuse had a beginning and an ending, and that's gone. But the emotional abuse affects your sense of security and yeah. you know confidence and that type of thing. And it's, it's really an embarrassing thing to go through. Um, yeah. As far as can yeah, you? I, uh, ex- I don't want to you know risk any type of re-traumatization here, but I assume that since you ladies are used to talking about your experience, that you're okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yes. Can you give examples yes. of of the the controlling that that psychological abuse or the controlling stuff, um, so that people can kind of understand what we're talking about? Um, yeah. Who, who would you like to go first? Or Yvonne, Jen, do you want to do that one? Like? Yeah. Um, you know, for me, it. Uh, I you don't even realize sometimes that what's going on when it happens. Um, he used to. Um, 
take my keys a lot or take my purse. Um, he used to take the uh, the SIM card out of my phone and then give me back my phone so that I couldn't actually do anything on my phone. Um, but I wasn't able to call for anybody or call for help. That was kind of like one of did, the big did things. Did you know at the that time that that's what he was doing? Oh, yeah. No, I, I mean, it was very obvious that he took the SIM card out of my phone because if you look down at your phone, you can't do anything. It says, you know, no service or service loss. And it took me like a whole five seconds to realize my SIM card was gone. Um, and then he had yeah. done it more than once. So after a while, I'm just like, oh, okay, he took the SIM card out. Yeah. Um, and a lot of taking things away and not wanting you to spend time with certain people, um, to pushing you away from the people who he didn't feel, like from the people who he felt would take you away from him. You know, mm-hmm. the people who didn't support the relationship aren't the people that they want you around. So yeah. it's inevitably like your family and your closest friends. So trying to alienate you from those people, which without even realizing, he did very easily to me. And I, I don't even know how it happened. I just turned around one day and it had happened. So yeah. um, it was just a lot of very, very, very petty and very controlling things that I just didn't even realize at the time was controlling. But yeah. Incredibly. Yvonne, was. was the situation similar for you? It was. I mean, it went from, you know, threats of going to kill me to putting me down, telling me nobody else will want me, um, going to my boss and sharing things and really making it rough for me at work. And a lot of my friends didn't like him, and that was the hugest red flag I really didn't pick up on. So they became more not distance to me but I saw them less and so it does isolate you in a large extent mm-hmm. what you're describing ladies is so typical when we're talking about domestic violence we you know the isolation oh, you know the the controlling behavior if you're out there listening and you would like to call in and share um some of your experiences or observations about this please give us a call it is 646 646- Three seven eight zero four three zero. That's six four six three seven eight zero four three zero. Join in our conversation, and if you don't want to talk, you can join us on our uh, chat room in our chat room, which is open on the website, and um, that chat room is ready to go. And uh looks like we actually have a couple people there already, so I'll keep you informed if we have any questions. But feel free to give us a call, 646-378-0430. So we've talked about some of the um, ways that women are controlled and abused and how subtle it is. Um, so how come? How come you don't just get over it? Yvonne, you want to answer that one? Well, I think the long period of stalking um, and then losing my job over it because of the stress and everything uh, really affected my sense of well-being and confidence. And it's not like you can just get over it. I kind of felt like something had changed in me. And that's where I pursued therapy to a large extent and was able to work through that. Um, But it it changes your sense of self, who you are, and you don't feel like the same person anymore. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I just want to, because it is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, I just want to point out that um, some of the, the numbers. One in three women victims of domestic violence, partly violence in their lifetime, 
yes, men are somewhat involved with this, but the overwhelming numbers are that it is women who are victimized. And we have three women and one man murdered every day by an intimate partner. Um, Intimate partner violence is the leading cause of female homicide and injury-related deaths during pregnancy. And children are present in more than 60% of intimate partner assaults each year. And Jen and Yvonne, do either of you have children who were participating in this domestic violence scenario with you? No, thank God. No. And I didn't have my own child, but my abuser had a daughter who was 13 years old, and she witnessed me getting beat up. And, you know, it really confused her, and it really was difficult for her to see all the abuse because he would really not take her into account when he was putting me down or um, yelling at me and that type of thing. So she was greatly impacted by it. Yeah. Because I think that that, when children are involved, that's just a huge, huge uh, piece of ammunition for abusers to use. And it's also a huge reason that you can't just walk away, that you can't just forget it. Mm -hmm. Um, If you've experienced domestic violence with children and you get away from that scenario and you get away from your abuser, the courts are still going to require that that man see his children. The children are still going to have long-term repercussions from all of this. I mean, how can you possibly even attempt to leave this behind you when you're still raising children who are, you know, impacted by this and continue to be impacted for years? Uh, Yvonne, have you seen that happen? Yeah, and that was part of the reason I stayed. I, I knew I needed to leave, but I didn't want to leave her alone. Her mother had just passed away, and so we were very close, and I thought, you know, why would I leave her with, quote, the monster or somebody like that? Um, And I was concerned about that. But once she saw me get beat up, I went to her and I told her, I said, you know, this is not right, and I'm leaving because of the physical abuse. And, you know, just at least tried to talk to her and let her know why I was leaving and this is not okay. And I felt that if I had stayed beyond that point, I would have been sending a message to her as kind of a mentor that this is okay. And so Mm -hmm. it was a tough decision, but it was also, you know, as far as communicating that this is not okay, what I had to do. Yvonne, you are the chair of the Voices, San Diego Voices group, right? Yes, I am. Right. How many people in your group um, have, have had similar situations? Are they all very similar or are there some that are a little different or how, how representative of the group? Uh, I think uh, some have different experiences and some may have strangulation, which I did not have, but a lot of our stories are similar, um, but the specifics are different. Um, And there's, you know, for example, some people had other things happen, weren't stalked, but were abused. The length of time may have been different, um, which helps give a, a good, you know, as far as, when we need a speaker for something specific, we have a good pool of people to draw from. Mm-hmm. Why did you start this group? Who started the group and why? Jen, you're part of the group, uh, the, too. Yeah. I oh, go ahead, Yvonne. Go ahead. Show. Yeah, later. Okay, Yvonne. Yeah, the Family then what, Center what? Alliance, um, uh-huh. they're a domestic violence. They train and uh, provide assistance and um 
help family justice centers across the nation. So they they formed this group probably in 2003, and their purpose was once they started the first family justice center, they were getting calls from the media wanting to talk to a survivor. So they formed a group, and I actually joined that group in 2009. So, Jen, why did what brought you to the group? Um, I went to the Family Justice Center um, because the police officer who was uh, who was making a case against my boyfriend said that I could get a restraining order there, and there would be services for me. So I actually came there just for a restraining order. Um, and they actually did some, like, assessments on me, and they, they're the ones that basically told me I could stay there and, and get therapy. And um, I went through extensive therapy for um, almost two years. Um, and I, I joined Voices actually rather quickly after going there. I think I was only there maybe six months, and then I joined Voices. The, um, the therapist who I did my weekly and, and group therapy every week with, um, she was sort of the therapist for voices, and she invited me to invited me to join um, shortly after I've been there, and I that was five years ago, so I've been a part of it ever since. Okay, you know this is a good point. We have in the chat room we have a person with a question, and that question is, why do you want to talk about this? Why do you not want to just forget it? Well, I think for I me, really I had to, such a let's let's go with Yvonne here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In my case, there was no family justice center, so I had to navigate through the system and figure it out all on my own. And I came across, uh, for example, my prosecutor and a few police officers that were so helpful, and it changed the way I went through this. And so, you know, people are always embarrassed to talk about this, and I really think it's necessary to be a voice for those that don't have one. And I think I've been past my situation, and it doesn't affect me to talk about it. And I think it really does help normalize and people realize that it's not just them. And a lot of times when you're in that abuse situation, you feel it's just you. And once you realize how common it is, then it helps to place less blame on yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jen, do you have a response to that question? No, I mean, basically just exactly what I mean, what Yvonne said. I mean, I went there for, for help and for therapy, but um, after you kind of educate yourself on it, you want to try to help other people and make them feel, you know, because you do feel alone when you're going through it, but, you know, you learn quickly that you're not. If you yeah. can prevent, you know, one person from going through it, as hard as it is to speak about it every time, and maybe you may suck to share your story, and it kind of brings that, brings you back a little bit every time. If I got up there in my lifetime and spoke a thousand times and one person heard me and one person didn't go through what I went through, then it would be worth it, and I would do it a thousand times over. Uh-huh. What What's the reaction when people hear you speak, Jen? Is there um, a typical reaction? Usually a little, like, surprised, and um, everyone always thanks me, and, you know, everyone always asks me, isn't it hard? Um, and I usually get, like... Um, more, I, I don't really know how to explain it. Like, almost like they look at me kind of like sometimes I get this look like I'm superwoman, and I'm not superwoman by any means. So that look always kind of like baffles me because um, <laughs> I don't feel like superwoman. I don't really think anybody feels like superwoman necessarily sometimes after they go through this. We have our moments where we feel really strong, but um, it's more just about wanting to help other people. 
And I know everyone, everyone's always appreciative, I guess. That's probably the thing that I always get. Everyone's always very appreciative when they hear me speak um, and always has questions, which makes yeah. me feel good. It feels like, okay, at least I'm doing something, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What kind of questions do you get? Um, a lot of typical ones, like the one that always throws me is why didn't, why didn't you just leave right away? I sometimes don't even know how to answer that. I, it's such a difficult question to answer because there's just so many reasons that I just sometimes don't even know how to put them into words. Maybe Yvonne can help me like elaborate. Cause that's the question we get a lot. Well, why didn't you leave right away? And who helped you leave? And, um, but why didn't you leave? It's always one that I just don't know what to say when I get put on the spot sometimes. Yvonne, do you get that one too? I do, and I think I didn't leave partly because there was a child involved that kind of saw me as a mentor and was close to me, but also the cycle of abuse, a large part, the person is very nice and comforting and everything, and then it goes to the abuse. So then following yeah. uh abusive situation there's all this oh i'm sorry i'll never do it again i mean he he even gave me all his guns in one apology and said you know here's my guns you know you can keep them and um you know and so they they make all these promises that everything will be okay and you know in your heart you love this person and you want it to be okay yeah i, I remember talking I once like... oh sorry go ahead no go i ahead. think sometimes too i the, with that question, it's like the, I don't know if uh, if the answer will make sense to them. If that makes sense, like it, it sounds so simple. So I think I think when most people before they're in domestic violence, it sounds very simple to leave. I mean, it oh, did yeah. for me before I was in the relationship. I'm like, oh well, you should just leave. It, it, it was like very black and white to me, or very like just not. It was a simple answer, and I feel like when I get the question, it's. I don't know if they're going to understand my answer because like, they may not know about the cycle of abuse or they may not know that you just want this person to go back to what they were six months ago. If you could just hang on, they may go back to being that person. So that's kind of why you stay, but it may, it may not make sense to, you know, in their head. And I try to figure it out to how someone who hasn't been through domestic violence will understand it. But then sometimes I have to remember that it just may not because until you've been through it, you really don't understand it completely. Well, and so much of it, it is so subtle and so progressive. Uh, you know, one of the things yeah. that I do when I'm trying to explain it to people is I, I show a line, a continuum. And on the left side, you've got normal behavior that normal relationships experience. Like, you know, you might have an argument about money and one will say to the other, you just don't know anything about money. You just don't know how to handle money or you're a spendthrift or da 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 da. Normal people say those things. You know, normal people get mad and normal relationships, you know, things like that. But when you're in an abusive situation, that escalates. It gets worse. It gets long-term. So in re in hindsight, it's great to say, well, I should have known he was this controlling when he said da-da-da-da three years ago. But the fact is, at the time, you don't know. And you think probably what he says made some sense or it didn't or you just, you know, it, it is so subtle and so pervasive and I think we lose sight of the fact that it is an escalating pattern uh, of control. Yeah. It's not just one thing that, you know, you have an argument about and some things are said, da 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 It's escalating. If you knew, you know, that it was going to continue to escalate and get worse and da-da-da-da when you have that first, you know, incident. Yeah. We might leave more, you know, but 
but everybody <laughs> experiences things like that. And if everybody left the first time anything like that happened, nobody would stay in a relationship, you know. Um, yeah. People lose sight of that, I think, that, that it is – it is so subtle, and so, and it, it is a, this escalating pattern. I think those are such key words when explaining domestic violence. The other thing that I have said to people is, I know I, I had a woman talk to me once. She had a couple of kids. She had a nice career, you know, and she had a lovely marriage. And we were talking about a woman who was experiencing domestic violence, and she said, well, the first time anybody did that to me, I would leave. I'd be out of there. And I said, really? I said that too. <laughs> really, you've got two kids, you've got joint bank accounts, you own a mortgage, you have the car payment, you you know you're you're saving for the vacation home, you're putting away the money for college, da 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 da, and say you go home one night and you know what he pushes you. Really, you're going to pack everything up right then, right now. No, you're going to say what the heck was that, and he's going to come back to you and mm-hmm. say I am so sorry, I am so sorry, I don't know what came over me, um, you know I've had this horrible day and blah 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 and you know. Of course you're not going to just pack up the kids and move back on one thing. Not when you are so vested. Three years from now, you know, but, but we don't have that, that 2020. We have 2020 hindsight. We don't have 2020 future sight, you know. Um, and so it becomes so easy to look backwards and say, oh, she should have or he should have or they should have. Um, but it's very difficult, I think, for people to really understand, you know, how pervasive and insidious domestic violence can be. Do you find a lot of the questions center around that kind of thing, that just a total lack of understanding about that whole domestic violence dynamic, Yvonne? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, and I think uh, the main thing is you – it's subtle and it, it's ongoing. And so by the time it's escalated to a large point, your your sense of self-esteem is lower and it makes it more difficult to, um, you're not the strong person you used to be. Um, and so, uh, and on my case, we owned a condo together and so it wasn't easy to just pick up and leave, but I got to a point where I had it and then, you know, I had to do it. But you know, there's so many things tying you into the relationship that it just makes it that much more difficult to leave. Mm-hmm. Well, plus you know that it's not going to be easy. Yeah. You know, this is a person who controls. And so this person um, has taught you over the years or the months that he controls. And you're, it's it's not like, you know, as you mentioned, Yvonne, you, you know, you they, they don't give up easily. And so if you leave, that's all well and good, but it's not like it's going to be over just because you pack a suitcase and walk out the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, many women have experienced, you know, um, uh, repetitive abuse via the court systems with multiple filings. They've experienced stalking. They've experienced all sorts of things. Um I know one person who was very active in her church. Her husband was not. And when she left, Within a month, he had joined her church. Well, she had a protection order. She couldn't go if he was there because she she would she could violate her protection order as much as he could. And so if he was there and she walked in, she had to turn around and leave. And so there's this continued abuse for her through her religious, you know, she was getting comfort 
through her religious organization yeah. and through her, her religious community. And boom, he just, you know, took that over and removed that from her. I mean, there's no end to the subtle ways that that's the, that the control can continue. Just because you may have packed a suitcase and walked out doesn't mean it's going to end. And I think most women who have experienced domestic violence are keenly aware that just walking out is not going to make it end. And certainly the number of women who are killed when they try to leave, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, it, it's not a small thing to say, well, just get out of there and it'll be done with. Do you agree, Jen? Yes, completely. I mean, I, every time I speak, people um, always ask about um, how great it is and what gets you to the point when you leave and why don't people leave. And a, a lot of the question is, is they don't they don't realize, they think that when you leave, that that's the end of it. That's That's only half of it. I mean, you are only halfway through your battle. It is just a different battle once you leave, and sometimes you're more at risk. I think Casey Gwynn from the Family Justice Center always talks about the statistics about how I believe they said it was close to half or or more women get murdered after they leave the relationship than when they're in the relationship. Mm-hmm. Because it, I've it's read just, studies where it's like an overwhelming majority of women who are killed yeah. because of domestic yeah. violence are killed when they try to leave. So it's it's not it's not even close to over when you leave. Um, a lot of women stay just for that reason, um, and a lot of women get murdered after they leave, and it's it's never as simple as anyone thinks it is. And like I said, unless you've been in it, it's, it's hard to understand. I don't blame people for not understanding domestic violence. It's, it's very difficult to understand unless you've lived it, unless you have had the person you love do that to you. It is almost impossible to understand what that feeling is like, what that fear is like. Well, and of course, one of the biggest problems for women trying to leave domestic violence situations is when they do have children, as you mentioned, Yvonne. Um, yeah. You feel an obligation to protect those children. You're terrified of those children. At least if you're there in the household, you have some sort of, you're, you're there to protect them. If you go through a divorce situation, the chances are overwhelming that he is going to be granted time alone with those children, and you won't be able to be there to protect them. And, you know, uh, it it just is an overwhelming um, responsibility. And so I, I read once that, that that women stay because of the children and women leave because of the children. It's It's like some mm-hmm. sort of tipping point where women realize that as bad as it is where they are, it could be worse if they weren't there. But then there's usually some sort of pivotal something that occurs that lets them know that as bad as it's going to be out there, it's probably not going to be any worse than what it is here. Yeah. And so that's when they leave. Is that consistent with your experience, Jen? Yeah, I mean, I I didn't have any kids with him, but in my support group and in Voices, there are mothers. And my heart, I I, I feel like, I I don't know how to say this correctly, but I feel like blessed that I didn't have kids with him because I look at their struggle and I look at what they went through, and it takes them twice as long to leave. It takes them almost twice as long to move on, twice as long to date again. Um, they, they have so many other emotions other than their own. They have these little humans that they have to take care of and worry about. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm here barely taking care of myself. I could barely take care of myself after this relationship. It took me months to get back on my feet. And and I didn't have children. I, so it just breaks my heart. I can only imagine, like, how much more some of the other women in our group have to go through. Some have even gone back. And I truly feel it is because of the children that they have gone back. I really do. Because the people have yeah. left our group and gone back to their abuser and they're still with them to this day. And I and I think it's because of the kids. 
I think it's yeah. because it's that want to keep the family together and they're, they're going to see them because they have to see them for the custody. And it, there's no, and I feel my heart breaks for them because there is truly no escaping them when you have children with them. There's no escaping them. I was able to walk away from my ex-boyfriend and I never have to see him again. He went to prison and when he gets out, I never have to see him again or I have to speak to him again. But I feel yeah. like the women who have children, I, I feel like they're trapped, you yeah, know? It is a huge they're, they're trap. They're trapped. They have to deal with it. It is. Yvonne, it's what, trap, what, but, you know. Yeah, Yvonne, were, were, were you able to continue any kind of relationship with your step with your stepdaughter? I tried at first, and what it did was, I guess, send the wrong message that I was still wanting to be involved. And I, I clearly let them know that, you know, I don't want to be involved with you. I don't want any contact. I don't want anything. But because he was stalking me, I felt that maintaining a relationship with his daughter. Um, at first I took her shopping and I would meet up with her and, you know, because she had lost her mother, I was kind of her mentor or whatever you want to call that. And unfortunately his continued contact made me have to choose between myself and her and I needed to separate that. And so I finally, you know, had to cut that relationship off. Uh, but I can see women that have mutual kids together, they're not able to do that. And so they are stuck with visitation, court cases, and that's the same thing that Jen mentioned is a lot of our Voices members have continued court cases and this and that over the children. And so it's really an extra component that people don't really realize can impact this. No. Well, and it's such a tightrope for women with children because – um, you know, I mean, the, the courts are just, from what I've seen, this is, of course, my opinion, um, the co- courts are just kind of like waiting for a woman to say something bad about the, their father to their chil- to the children um, so they can kind of come down on her with both feet. Um, and there's such risk. I mean, it, it's like, to me, it seems like they, they spent their lives on a tightrope with this abuser, and when they try to leave, the tightrope gets even tighter and tauter. Um, because they have to be on a tightrope with the courts involved um, and the abuser. And, and it just seems like it's just an awful, awful thing. So, so you know, I don't know why they don't just get over it. <laughs> Pack your bag, leave, and get over it, lady, okay? Move yeah. on, let it go. You know, again, my favorite phrases. So both of you have survived. And both of you have built lives. Are you unusual for having done this, Jen? Um, you know, I, I think to some people it is unusual because I think so many people end this relationship and they don't get the help they need and they kind of hide out and they sort of bury themselves in, into work and, and, and don't go back out and, like, kind of get back out of horse, so to speak. It's hard. Um, it's it, it, it's hard to do that. I, you almost have to like force yourself to just go and try to be normal and be a normal person again. Um, and I mean, I I have felt so lucky. Um, you know, someone that I had dated way back um, in the past when I was a young teenager um, is actually my husband now, and we have a beautiful daughter. Um, but I also feel like someone had asked me in a group session one time, isn't it really hard? Like, it's very hard to date. It's very hard to trust people. And they were surprised that I was, you know, dating this person that was now my husband. 
And I told him that the only reason, not the only reason, but um, I truly feel like if you put me at a club and some random guy just walked up to me, I probably wouldn't do well with that. I feel like one of the reasons I was so comfortable and able to start a relationship with the person that I'm in now was probably because I knew him earlier. I'm not saying that I married him just for that reason. I want to clarify that. I love him. But I also feel like a lot of people don't, you know, it's the meeting strangers that's very hard and accepting new people into your life. And I, and I probably lucked out because this person isn't new to my life. You know, he sort of came back and we have rekindled things. And, it's you know, it is everything that I've ever wanted and I'm blessed. But had I not had that and I had to go on Match.com and I wanted to try to start something and start going out to meet people, I think I wouldn't have done very well with that either. I mean, that's almost impossible to do after this relationship because your trust is just down to like ground zero. I mean, when it comes to like meeting new people, your trust is just like diminished, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that was what I told her. And I was like, well, I know him. I know his level of crazy is not existent. And she feels like, well, how do I know that about the people that I meet? And I said, you don't, you just have to try. That's the only thing you can do is try. You just have to, you can't let yourself get buried into just working and, and not being a human again. But I can understand why some people would. Yeah, no, completely. It's very easy. It's the easier option. It is Again, especially if there are children. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. if there are children. The other thing that we haven't really talked about is women who go through this experience take, usually take a tremendous hit financially. I was just reading a, a yeah. report not too long ago that indicated that women who have gone through this, actually it was we had a guest on our show who had done a, a research study on the economic impact of a protection order. Women who have sought and been granted a protection order, in fact, never their their career trajectories and income uh, potential, income earnings, never went back up to compare to to comparable you know, to women in comparable careers who had not gotten a protection order. Does that make sense? Am I saying that so that it's yeah. understandable? Yeah. 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 So, and, and of no course, she looked at protection orders because, you know, I mean, how, you know, I mean, there are only so many ways you can look to see if there was some sort yeah. of domestic violence kind of thing. And so, you know, th- that's just one indicator. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier in the show about stalking and, and the impact that has on your earning potential and on your job and all that kind of stuff. Tremendous economic disadvantages for women who have been through this when they're trying to get back on their feet, when they're trying to survive this. Did either of you experience this? Yvonne, did you experience this? Well, I was lucky and I had my own savings, and so that economic portion didn't really affect me. I was able to draw from savings and, you know, get what I needed. Um, But a lot of times people have no resources and to get back into you know, a job, uh, a job sometimes not enough because sometimes you need to take some time off to kind of refocus and that type of thing. So I feel I was fortunate in that regard. Um, and a lot of times the financial abuse of the abuser has kind of made them not have any resources to fall back on. Yeah. Jen, did you experience this at all? Um, I did. I mean, we lived in... um in a really nice, you know, two-bedroom apartment, and he he did pay, you know, the bills for it. Um, 
but I feel like, like of all, I had, I had a little money put away and um, my family really just came to my rescue. If I didn't have that, I, I, I don't know what I would have done because hearing so many women's stories, it is hard. They have to go to shelters and sometimes they were stay at home moms. Um, so I feel like once again, I, I was sort of blessed again in that, in that situation where I, it wasn't a, it wasn't a huge setback. It, it was a setback, but it wasn't, wasn't big enough for me to even consider staying because of it, where so many women think, like, I don't have a place to live. I won't have a job. I won't have money. All the credit cards are in his name. It wasn't that traumatic for me, thank goodness. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so, But economic fallout is a huge thing. So we've talked a little bit about the economic fallout. We've talked a little bit about, you know, the continued abuse. What are some of the other reasons that women can't just snap back after a situation like this? Jen, can you? Um... Um, I think it's like the lack of help. Like I feel like the reason I was able to come back was because I got help. Um, a lot of people don't want to go to therapy. They would rather not talk about it. Um, they don't want to talk well, about it with anybody else. Well, therapy is not cheap either. They, yeah. Therapy is not um, cheap either for the most part, you know. Yeah, I mean, and then that is... not every place has a family justice center, you know. Like it's, and there's not enough family justice centers in this world. I think there needs to be one on every five miles, but um, – yeah. I feel like they don't, I feel like when I got help too, I educated myself on it and I feel like I understood what I went through when I could process it and, and, and educate and learn about it. Um, and those resources is what helped me. So I feel like if someone doesn't have those resources, if I didn't have the Family Justice Center and I say I never got the therapy and I never joined Voices and I never got the resources there because the Family Justice Center helped me get a P.O. box so that I was not listed anymore. They helped me get a new apartment. They um, gave me resources if I needed. They have, like, clothes if you need to go on a job interview now. They have group therapy. Um, if I didn't, if you took all that away from me, I, I couldn't even tell you I'd be on this phone call right now. Yvonne, hmm. hmm. what do you see as some of the other obstacles for women who are trying to survive after this crisis? I agree with Jen. The therapy was probably the most significant way I was able to recover, and it, it took a long time, and it really, I had to rebuild my whole sense of self. And if somebody is not able to get therapy or they don't get enough therapy, then I don't see how you know, a person could really fully recover from it, and I don't yeah. see how... Um, they can kind of get past it. I think therapy is a great thing and it really does help a person move on, but it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of, you know, time to go through it. And sometimes people, they don't want to. Um, The other thing is it's highly embarrassing for a woman to go through domestic violence and you feel that something's wrong with you. Um, And so that impacts your life and your ability, your confidence to go, get a new job and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that, that confidence and, and the, the the feeling, I mean, if you've been kind of browbeaten into thinking that there's something wrong with you, which most of the women I know who have experienced domestic violence report, then how can you feel good about just going out and applying for a job? I mean, it must just be awful. Um, to try, I mean, most of us, and uh, it seems to me that for the last couple generations, we've been preaching that confidence is everything. You have to have confidence. But if you don't have confidence, 
how can you possibly go out there and pretend to compete with um, uh, other people who who project that that sense of I belong here and I'm capable and you know I'm I, it just is befuddling to me um, how you know how difficult that must be. Um, so okay, let's talk about getting back on your feet. How long has it been, Yvonne, since you were in your abusive relationship? I think it was about fifteen years. Okay, Jen, how long has it been for you? Uh, it was five years last month. Okay, there are people who would say five years, fifteen years. Why have you? Why do you keep wallowing in this? Why don't you just let it go? and be done with this, why do you feel the need to keep going over this and over this? How would you respond to that, Jen? Um, it's not really wallowing. Um, I I don't feel like I'm wallowing right now at all, actually. I feel like sharing your story um, is more like empowering. And me wanting to talk about my story is simply because I want to end domestic violence. It's maybe, you know, it's maybe that may never happen. You know, it may never happen, but if I can lower domestic violence, then it's like what I said earlier. If I got up a thousand times and one person, you know, listened to what I what listened to what I went through and 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 didn't put up with it and left before anything happened or left at the first sign and maybe didn't go through this relationship, then it would be worth it all over again. I don't walk away, and I I do a lot of speaking things for voices, and um, I don't walk I don't ever walk away sad. I don't ever walk away depressed. I have to relive it a little bit. Um, but for the most part, it's humbling at the same time because I've come so far. I don't feel like pity me. Like I don't want anyone to ever feel. Sometimes I get that pity look or that I'm so sorry and are you okay? Like I don't get up here and I don't share my story and I don't I don't pity me. I don't feel like anybody should pity me because I don't pity me for what I went through. I'm very proud to be a survivor today. So I don't want anyone to feel sorry for me. Um, and that's not what I'm doing speaking. I'm not. I'm not pitying myself. I'm just trying to change the world. That's all. Yvonne, <laughs> <laughs> uh, how about you? What would How would you respond to somebody who says, well, it's been 15 years and you really need to move on and, you know, um, um, get over this? What, how do you respond to that? Well, I have gotten over it. I have moved on. I have a wonderful life and everything I've ever wanted. And, you know, I want to help normalize and make people realize that it's not just them. And I worked as a court support advocate, and when I let them know the statistics, you know, one in four women go through this, you couldn't imagine the the realization they came to and the look on their face like, oh. Um, and so I think it's necessary to speak about it and to get funding for all these community programs if People don't speak out about it. People don't realize how common it is. And then the second part is to give hope to those people. And they look at us and they see normal, healthy people with jobs and successful and to show that you can get past it. And, you know, when you're in the middle of it, you think life as you knew it will never be the same. And so I don't see it as wallowing at all. I think uh, it's, helping them educate and empower people that may not really understand the whole situation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that that's a really a noble thing because I, I 
in in the studies that I've seen and the research that I have uh, have seen, it seems that in this field, in this area in particular, women need to hear from other women. And I don't know whether it's because this is just my own questioning. I don't know whether it's because we are still such a victim blaming society. I mean, endemic in the question of well, why didn't you just leave? Is it's I mean that question is making it your fault. And I know for years people who have worked in this field have gone, you know, no, the question is why does he do that? Not why doesn't she leave or why doesn't she this or why didn't she that? The question is why does he do that? And until we make that the question, we are going to get this victim blaming. And and that question in and of itself is a, a victim blaming question. You know, instead of of putting the blame on the doer, we're putting it on her for either leaving or for not leaving or staying or not going or whatever. I mean, we're making it her issue. So, of course, it's going to be embarrassing for a woman to admit that she's experiencing such a thing because she knows she's going to be putting herself open for all sorts of of um, assumptions about what she should have done or what she shouldn't have done or what she did do or whatever. Do you agree with that, Yvonne? I do, and I think that, you know, there is still a lot of that blame, why didn't you just leave, um, just in general to the population. And um, it needs to be something that we talk about. And although it's been a long time, I still feel passionate that I want to help somebody. And like Jen said, if I help one person by speaking out, I've improved the world. Yeah, yeah. And I like that notion that you know what you said, Jen, about I don't want to be pitied. I just want to make the world. I just want to save the world. I mean, that's great. <laughs> and and I have to also say I think that along with that assumption, uh, with the victim blaming whole thing, there's also this assumption that women who are abused are some sort of weak little, incapable, somethings. And I've been doing this kind of stuff for uh, quite a number of years now, and I must tell you that domestic violence victims are among the strongest people I have ever met. I don't understand why there is this notion that they're some sort of little weaklings. Have you had those thoughts, Jen? Yeah, I think, you know, I think you feel different as a victim as to when you become a survivor. I think the empowerment comes from surviving domestic violence. I felt like when I was in that relationship, I did feel pretty weak. And you don't feel as strong in it. You just don't realize how strong you are. You don't know what the ability you have in you. I feel like that's where it comes from because, you know, because you you do stay maybe longer than you need to. And and, and some women can't walk away. And it's it's, it's so much easier said than done. So it's very easy to label the, the weak and, and, and pity them and say that they're not strong. Um but in, the, in in moments of my relationship, I, I was probably very weak and, and, and not strong. Um, you just have to find it in you. And I think a lot of that empowerment, that, that strong, it, it comes from surviving it. I think that's where you get so much is, you know, is, is when you leave. Because I don't feel like in a relationship, if you're in that domestic violence relationship, it may be hard to find a woman who feels extremely strong. That's just that's where the control and the abuse emotionally comes from too. They take that from you temporarily. Yeah. Hopefully yeah. just temporarily. Yeah, that's what true. it is taken from. Yeah. But I think that and and I'm glad that you made that distinction between victim and survivor. I personally have no problem uh with 
saying, um, you know, okay, um, someone has been victimized by somebody mm-hmm. else. By, but there is a point at which we do become that survivor. We do become that person who has gotten through this. And um, so I think there's a real distinction. I have heard people talking about um, domestic violence survivors as people who are currently undergoing their victimization. And I don't agree with that because I think it is a process, and I think it's perfectly acceptable to say, I've been victimized, you know, that that I have been a victim here. Um, But at some point, then we get to say, okay, now I have become a survivor, at what point do you think there was that turnaround for you, Jen? Oh, that took a while. Uh, that It was long after I left, before I actually felt like I was surviving. I mean, it took months. It took months of therapy and months of educating myself on domestic violence. And and honestly, I think, um, like I told mentioned earlier, I joined Voices rather quickly. I think I, I, I feel like joining Voices six months after my relationship ended is pretty mm-hmm. fast. And I and I was thrown right in there. I mean, my, the first week I joined Voices, I went to um, a hospital and I spoke in front of like hundreds of doctors about domestic violence, and I talked about it. Um, and that was kind of one of the first times that I really started to um, to feel that because I was like, oh, I'm I'm educating someone. I'm I'm making a difference. Like I just ended this, and I felt so strong. And it was kind of one of my first like aha moments of like feeling like a survivor. Because I was yeah. sitting here telling someone about what I had been through, and I was sitting here in front of all these smart people at this hospital, and I was telling them, <laughs> and I was actually helping them. That's just like an incredible like. That may be. A, I have to tell you, that so may easy. be a leap by saying yeah. all these smart people to hospital. I, I suspect oh. <laughs> that there are a lot of smart people that <laughs> no, you know. <laughs> but I know. But well, you know what I mean. It felt really yes, I cool. Do. At the time. I thought, wow. I yeah. thought this was yeah. a this was kind yeah. of kind of a turning point in my head. Maybe not in my life, yeah. but in my head, I was kind of like, okay, it was my first time, and I really felt like I had survived this. Yeah. But I felt that took months. I mean, it was it was a good six months after I left, and I just felt pretty, pretty, you know, pretty low. Yeah. So many points, you know, in those months after, it takes mm-hmm. a while, I think, to feel strong. Yeah. You don't really feel strong. Well, I'm surprised that you felt had that scared. that realization after just six months. I mean, I would think yeah. it would be years. Yvonne, your experience was yeah. a lot longer ago. Was there some sort of point at which you went, wow, I, I am a survivor, I have survived this? I think it took a couple of years, and it was just a gradual process to where I just started feeling better and my ni- my life had normalized. Um, and I really wasn't familiar with the term survivor until I joined Voices. And what it did for me as far as being a survivor is being able to empower others and show people that you can get through this and you can have a normal life afterwards. And so, but it did take a couple of years. Yeah, I would think. I would think it would be at least a couple of years. Because, um, I mean, this is a, a major, major life trauma. Ladies, yeah. tell us a little bit, if you can, about the Voices a Voices Survivor Network program. It is a program of Alliance for Hope International, and you guys are having a webinar. And um, I don't, you know, I should have the web page for that. <laughs> Let me click on this and see if I have it. Um, yeah. yeah, there Yvonne is, is our a. I'll let her take over. <laughs> oh, okay, so, I'm sorry, I didn't understand what you said. Oh. 
Yvonne's our chair of voices, so I'll kind of let her tell you all about it. Oh, okay. All right. So, yeah, how how about it, Yvonne? Do you have ways that people can contact the Alliance for Hope International and maybe in time to sign up for this webinar that you guys are having? Yeah, I believe the website's allianceforhope.com, and Mm -hmm. uh, basically every October they try to do a webinar that's focused on survivors and somebody from our group, and I believe this is uh, surviving after the abuse. And basically it's a conversation with Casey Gwynn, who is the founder and president of the Alliance for Hope, and they'll just have a nice conversation as far as where these people are now after the abuse. Um, And so we have a lot of support from the Alliance for Hope, and uh, we're actually creating a network of other voices committees throughout California, and that's one project that we have coming up um, to help solidify our chapter with other chapters and, you know, begin to try to expand what we're doing and help other chapters form. And so uh, we have a lot of exciting things going on right now. Okay, so how can people contact you if they are interested in starting a chapter? Um, I think uh, the best way Just go to the Alliance for Hope? Is, yes, and uh, there's uh, contact us. There should be some contact information, and then that would be filtered through to us. Uh, okay. So you don't necessarily have to have a, a family justice center, uh, but the Alliance for Hope. Uh, and, and that is the Alliance for us. Hope International. Alliance for Hope International, out of San Diego, California. So that would be a good starting point. Um, gee, Yvonne, Jen, thank you so much for being with us and and you know having this conversation. I think it's important. You know, uh, it's important to talk about uh, this and how difficult it is um, to get away from a situation like this. Uh, People tend to minimize it, um, and they tend to minimize the difficulty and the long-term repercussions of uh, domestic violence issues. And, um, you know, I mean, it's it's a huge, huge issue for folks. And I think that it behooves us all to realize how pervasive this is. You know, one in four women experience domestic violence. One in three women experience either domestic violence or sexual assault. Domestic violence doesn't have to be hitting. It can be coercive control. Um, Evan Stark, of course, you know, responsible for coming up and defining what coercive control is, and it's very, very significant out there. So um, it's a huge issue. October, uh, we're kicking off domestic violence awareness. I would challenge everyone to just do one thing, one thing for Domestic Violence Awareness Month, if it's just looking up something online, if it's checking out a website, if it's making a contribution to a local DV shelter or organization, just do one thing this month that will help the masses of women who go through domestic violence. I think you'll feel better for it. I always end the show with a quote, and um, uh, Jen and Yvonne, you so much for being with me today and and uh, exploring this topic. Uh, thank you for sharing your personal experiences, and it was a delight to have you. The quote thank that you. I have today is from thank Mark you. Green, and I have to tell you, I don't have a clue who Mark Green is, but I like his quote. Mark Green said, "If the numbers we see in domestic violence were applied to terrorism or gang violence, the entire country would be up in arms." And it would be the lead story on the news every single night. And I must agree with that. 
Um, it's time for us to stop minimizing domestic violence, and it's time for us to stop minimizing how easy it is to get away from domestic violence or recover from domestic violence. It is a huge issue, a huge challenge, and uh, it's something that we all need to be aware of it. So thank you for joining us. Please join us again next week for Three Women, Three 